Welcome back to episode three of Looney Engineering. Today, Chris and I are going to talk about the new job that's not all it's cracked up to be. You started your first dev role, but it's just not going well. I'm Andrew Clarkson. And I'm Chris Naismith. And we're looking forward to diving into this. I talk to an unfortunate amount of people that are going through this. And especially when you get all these almost promises of how amazing it's going to be to work in tech, I think it's a big letdown. Yeah, there's there's nothing that is more frustrating, especially in your first role when you know you go through all the rejection, you go through some pretty difficult interview processes, only to show up in the company on day one. Maybe it's even month one, and it is not what you expected. You know, it's not the environment. There's lack of support, whatever it be, but you know the grass is not greener on the other side. Yeah, I couldn't imagine it. Um, you go through so much, the interview process, the the hours of preparation, days of preparation. Uh, you've learned so much. You researched this company. You've been so excited. You finally landed the role. You did the thing that is, as I've been told and as I've experienced, was harder than the actual job. Yeah, yeah, because and it, it, it's quite difficult because when you're interviewing, um, you don't have a lot of time. Um, and I'll say this from, from the company standpoint, when you're interviewing a candidate, you're expected to find out if this person would be a good fit for your company in, let's say anywhere between like three and five hours, right? If you have a pretty typical interview process, but as the person interviewing, you have the exact same thing. You have to figure out if this is a company you want to work at in three to five hours. It's very much so a a two-way street. And I think that's going to lead into where this all starts. But let's talk about what this looks like first. So it can be a lot of different things. Maybe your PRs aren't being reviewed. Maybe your questions aren't being answered in the work Slack or Teams. Uh, Maybe you've been threatened with a PIP. Maybe you got a PIP. Uh, You just feel like you're going to get fired. Like, what else can there be there that you just aren't feeling good about? Like, you're just like, wait, this isn't going the way it's supposed to go. Yeah. And even as a junior, just having like a lack of direction. Um, When you're starting off your career, you don't necessarily know what you're doing and having a manager or a peer with more seniority than you should be pointing you in the direction that you need to go. You have no context as per like our last episode. You know, you are trying to figure out what your role in a company really is. And if you're not having that support in the company, it is not usually a reflection on you, but it's more so on the company. That's exactly it. A company knows they're bringing on a junior. Now, sometimes the problem here is a company is trying to bring on somebody with more experience at a much cheaper price tag, but they know what sort of experience you're coming from. So you should be getting that onboarding buddy or somebody that's going to kind of hold your hand and guide you through at least the first little bit till you kind of land with your feet on the ground. Yeah. And then uh, the other problems, we can cut that out because I I lost my train of thought. Um, (laughs) Put your feet on the ground. Now, different people are going to do this differently. Some people are the type that are going to be able to go into a job with no direction and they just nail it anyways. They're they're good at it. They figure it out. Uh, Maybe they find somebody that helps them out regardless or they just get into it and they're good. That's always possible. But... You are in a new industry, you're in a new job, a new role, everything is new to you. So I don't think that's the standard. I don't think that's to be expected. Yeah, I would definitely say there is a small minority of people that are able to be thrown into the deep end and be able to swim. Um, and so when you when you join a company, you know, you're kind of taking on risks. So as a company that you're able to perform in the role that you have. And if you don't have any experience, you're kind of relying on the job to sort of provide you, you know, the tools necessary in order to meet your job. And so the first thing that you could do, I would say, is if you're not feeling like you're being provided those tools or opportunities for growth is reaching out to your direct manager first. I think that would be the first bit of advice that I would give is making it clear that there is a problem um, and that you are aware of that problem because you don't want to have someone who's just, you know, going back to the swimming metaphor, you don't want someone who's drowning 
but not putting up their hands asking for help and they're just drowning quietly. I'm a big fan of all the the water metaphors that have been happening in the planning and uh, now execution of this episode. Yes. So you're the junior. So, okay. So I'm the junior. I'm coming to you, the manager. Where do I even start? You feel, you feel lost. You, if you're at this point, you probably feel like your manager isn't supporting you anyways. You don't know if they even know that you're doing badly or even worse, they do. And you don't know. But yeah, I would say, I would say at first, like, don't always assume ill intent, you know, as a, as someone who's managed teams before, um, I've had people that are in different time zones, people with different skill sets, and sometimes they just don't feel comfortable reaching out because they, they got this job. There's probably already a degree of imposter syndrome, whether or not they're successful in the role and they don't want to come across as that they need to be fired. Cause of course you, in a lot of places, you're three month probation, you can be fired without cause at any time. And so why give the company a reason to fire you? Um, you know, why give them that ammunition? But, um, what I would say is most, um, most jobs, I will say early on in my career, I didn't have this, but you typically do have one-on-ones with your manager. So you should be able to have some sort of regular cadence of being able to connect with your manager and being able to bring up any concerns that you have. Like those times are, should not be for the manager. It is for you as the individual. Yeah, that is, that, that's a really important one. And if you get into a company that has one-on-ones, I'd say probably like less than once a month, I'd be concerned. Um, I've heard people say they need to be every week. Um, myself, I have my one-on-one every other week and I think it's a perfect cadence. Um, it really gives me a chance to have something going on in between it, um, run into problems, um, just have things to talk about. And, uh, that is definitely where you should bring these sort of things up. Um, but what about the actual conversation? So, so we don't want to so much call ourselves out as like, I think I'm doing terrible. Um, is this going to be more of a, a cry for help? Is this going to be a, a request for a little bit of assistance? Do you dance it around a little bit? How do you go about it? Yeah, I would, again, say it depends on the individual. Um, you know, there are some people that want to basically have their hand held with them as they go through stuff for the first time. That's, you know, depends on the company, but totally reasonable to just being pointed in the correct direction. So sometimes it's, I'm working on this problem and I don't know where to start. You know, would you be able to walk through this problem with me, be it say pair programming or maybe explaining the ticket in a different way? Um, and so that would be maybe one thing um, to sort of like start with that conversation is identify the problem, but then also try to come up with what you feel is a reasonable way to remedy that problem. Um, so I had a, proactive. sorry. So be proactive. Be proactive. Absolutely. I, I had a manager who used to say to me, don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions. And I think this is, this should be a part of it is showing that you are interested in continuing to grow um, and saying to your manager, I need support. This is the way that I think the support will help me and we can take it from there. And bringing them solutions isn't always going to mean here's how we fix the problem. You're saying this is how I would like to, or this is what I need to fix the problem. Exactly. Not always, this is exactly the fix. It's these are the things I need to get to a fix. You're not coming to them with working software. You're coming to them with your code that's broken and janky and being like, this is how far I've gotten. This is what I've been able to do. I can't quite get to this next level. Can you help me with it? Yeah. And you can take like take coding aside for this. This is, I am unable to fulfill the requirements of my job. I need assistance. Either maybe it's training. Maybe it is, I don't know where to look. Maybe my machine isn't working efficiently because you don't know what you don't know. And having someone that is more experienced than you, be it a peer or a manager, who will be able to sit down with you and identify, oh, this is actually why you're having issues with this. You're not connected to the VPN. That's why all of your connections are failing, you know, and you just, you don't know, especially as mentioned as your first job, because you don't have anything to compare it to. Yeah. You have no idea what you don't know and having that set of eyes on it really helps. And that's where 
I always, um, I always tell people, ask so many questions all the time, because it might even be a question that you think this is a stupid question, but it's going to point out or it's going to lead to something else that's going on that somebody's gonna be like, oh, that's what's going on. And it's the simplest fix. Yeah. So you've spoken to your manager, you try and get this help. Um, maybe you go to them with this and you get kind of brushed off. Uh, you should know this already. Um, maybe it's, you're just not getting responses. You're not getting the help you need. Maybe it's a small company that's unable to support you really in the way you need, or maybe it's just um, bad culture. What's next? Yeah, the second thing that I would say is maybe you could interchange these back and forth, um, but reaching out to peers, right? Because you're gonna have people that were in the exact same boat as you are, whether or not that they were a junior or senior, um, but someone will have to, in order for them to be where they are, they would have had to learn what you're doing currently. And so reaching out to them or reaching out to the manager could be interchanged, but I'd say reaching out to a peer, um, trying to set aside some time. And you know, you you mentioned in our previous episode, booking one-on-one chats with people in the company. Do the exact same thing. Book a one-on-one chat. Say, hey, I'd like to set some time for being able to go over this ticket with you. I need some help. Uh, I don't know where to start. Maybe I don't know how to finish it. Um, maybe it's even reviewing the code. Maybe your code is so messy that people open up the PR and they go, Whoop, I'm not reviewing that. I'm going to let that be someone else's problem. Um, and if everyone else keeps pushing it away, it just sort of gets ignored. So I have sessions like this pretty regularly where I'm like, okay, I have something like I've got the working solution, but I know it looks janky. I know it could be better. And to sit down with somebody and see how a more senior, a uh, more experienced developer approaches it has just leveled up my learning so quickly. Yeah. Um, getting slightly off track there though. So I, I totally agree. Getting that time with people. Now, some companies again, and I'm just going worst case here, playing devil's advocate. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. Let's, let's get from, let's say like a normal, what should be a normal culture into like maybe a more and more toxic sort of yeah. company. Yeah. Cause at, at this point, you're, your issue should be solved. You've gotten the job. They recognize that you had a skill set that they needed and they liked you. So at this point, you've done a lot of the things that you should be doing on a regular basis. And this shouldn't be just left until you're floundering. This should be all the time. Ask for reviews, ask how you can get better, ask how you can level up, ask it. My question all the time is how am I doing? Am I doing a good job? And furthermore, for a developer of my experience, where I'm at, how am I doing compared to your expectation? And that really has helped guide me. And if they're telling you like, listen, you're a little behind, okay, where, like, what can I do? And that's where you need to spend some time and, and level yourself up. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's where obviously we all want to be like, oh, it's the company, it's the culture, but like, sometimes it is us. Sometimes we're just behind in our skill set, and we might just be behind in our skill set compared to what they want, desire, think you should have, you just kind of come, got to come together. And often just showing that willingness to learn and showing up is going to put you 90% of the way. Yeah. I would say I have never worked in a company where someone doesn't know something. They're clearly very passionate about learning who is let go or terminated from the company because they were too ambitious, but not knowledgeable enough in order to solve problems. That that doesn't happen. A lot of companies will, I don't want to say take advantage in a negative context, but they want that drive and they want that energy that comes out with trying to solve problems. Especially if you stay there long-term, you know, you are going to be the problem solver for them. And that is a hugely valuable thing. Yeah. Any, any good company will value that. So let's delve into that maybe the company is the issue now. So you land somewhere where it's a little bit of more of a toxic culture, or maybe it's just startup culture. It's that hustle, hustle. We got to go. We don't have time to train you up. Like you got to figure this out. So the advice that I've often given people is, well, at this point, you got to make the most of the cards you've been dealt. So how do we do that? How do we make the most of the job that we're in? Hopefully save it, become the rock star, become the, the, the story, I can't remember. What's the word I'm looking for? The red, not rags riches, but the underdog. You're the underdog that won. That's ideal. But let's talk about maybe it doesn't work out. What's next? Yeah. So, so let's say 
let's go the scenario that you're wanting to stay at the company and you're not getting the support from the company, whatever, whatever reason. Um, so at that point, if the company is ultimately the problem there, you should start looking externally for, um, support. And that could be, um, various communities online. Uh, an example is like the Toronto JS community that we are both a part of. It is pretty common for people to post questions in the help channel saying, I'm working on this. I don't know what is breaking. Maybe here's a code snippet. Um, can anyone help me? So that's the first thing, right? Instead of trying to find that exact same peer support from your company, you're now looking externally. Um, the other opportunity, and this is maybe um, where you are the problem and your company isn't wanting to support you, is you can also look for mentorship outside of your company. So there are various platforms that are out there where you can get either paid or free mentorship, or you could even try reaching out like networking on LinkedIn to find someone to sort of work with you and help develop those skills in order to become uh, more proficient at your job. Yeah, that's a great way to go about it. Um, you're going to be able to speak to somebody who is going to have your best interests at mind, regardless of what's going on in your company. Exactly. And they have no, um, no ties to the company. So that means that they can give an unbiased opinion on, Hey, maybe this isn't the best company to work for. And they can start giving you some outside, um, knowledge. Yeah, that's really good because it can feel, it can feel really bad if you're at a company where you're like, I am not contributing. I'm not helping. I've spoken to people that they're clearly not getting fired anytime soon, but they're like, I don't want to be here. I don't like it. I don't feel good. Like this isn't good for my mental health, but to have that external person kind of in your ear, standing on your shoulder, being like, Hey, no, you're doing a good job. Like just keep at it. That can really reset that balance. Yeah. The other thing that I've seen where you can, this is maybe something we could have talked to at first, but sometimes people have the perception of floundering when they're not actually floundering. And you know, what's the, what's that term that, uh, comparison is the thief the, of joy. Yeah. The thief of joy. And so, you know, if you're comparing yourself to your team members on their output, um, you know, I'm, I'm on a team. I have three other front ends. Uh, two of them are seniors. One of them is not a senior and we all have much different output. We're also all good at totally different aspects of front end. And so if I were to compare let's say like the number of PRs that are going out, like that is, is a PR a good metric? Not really. Is it lines of code? Probably not. You could write less efficient code with more lines, but when you start comparing to what you know versus other people, it's not an apples to apples comparison. Yeah, that's, that's true on so many different levels. And that kind of goes back to having that ideally good manager who's giving you more of that feel of where you're at because if you're just looking at it doesn't matter if you could put out exactly the same output as everyone else you're probably still going to feel like you're not doing enough yeah it feels like if you're not crushing it you're probably failing and it's just not the way so we go from there um maybe you got somebody to help you um maybe you don't um, maybe things are going well and you don't know maybe things aren't going well you've still got to kind of watch out for yourself here. You've got to kind of take care of number one. What are you going to do to make the most of all of this? So there's obviously learning that can be done, whether it's about your situation or about the industry. And on top of that, something that when I, I talk to people, they're like, oh, I think I'm going to get fired. I'm like, listen, go in there and do your best. But there's also the, what we hear so many times is after you've got like six months to a year of experience, it's easy to get a job. So I always kind of say like, get in there, do your best. You're not just sitting there and soaking up a paycheck, but get in there and work hard and try to stay there for at least a period of time because now you've got some, a line on your resume that isn't like, oh, why are you only there like six weeks? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I would also give the advice if you're at a company for six weeks, don't put it on your resume for one, pretend like you have no experience. Um, <laughs> well, like don't lie, but like just don't, don't show it because it, it isn't relevant. Um, really but you didn't learn anything to exactly. do that job. Um, but let's say, 
Yeah. Like at, at six to 12 months, um, if you can stick it out in a place that's not positive, it's probably not, as, as you mentioned, it might not be great for your mental health, um, but it will be good for your career to have some sort of experience at a company. And all of those roles, uh, when you were trying to get your first job that, you know, they want juniors, but they want people that have X amount of experience. Congratulations. You now fit into that boat. You now have experience and you can apply to an entry level position as a developer elsewhere that hopefully is more supportive. Um, it might not be the world's greatest thing, but at least it's better than the situation that you're currently in. That's right. We all want like the fix and the best thing right now, but sometimes it's just about moving forward. Sometimes it's let's get a bit of experience where we can here. And I see people do this all the time. And most people don't talk about it. We don't like talking about the thing that didn't go well, the job that we were bad at, the, the place that we got into that we told everyone was so great and turned out not to be. I see lots of people leaving jobs after three or four months, piles of juniors. All of a sudden they get an amazing offer elsewhere because exactly as you said, they've got some experience now. They fit the bill perfectly. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's very common to people to share those opportunities that have happened to them where they're at a place for, let's say, four to six months, and now they get given an offer somewhere else. It's more pay. Maybe it's an intermediate level because the company feels that they're an intermediate and not a junior, um, which dramatically helps out with confidence. I know when I first, I was working as a junior, um, and then I was given an opportunity as an intermediate what was it? Intermediate software web developer, something like that. I can't remember the exact title, but I was like, am I an intermediate? I don't know. I've only worked here for like a year. Am I, am I actually an intermediate? And then I was there for a year and my next job was a senior, which is probably not very likely for a lot of people to be in that situation. But every single time I felt like I tricked them, but it also gave me the confidence to be like, well, now that I'm a senior, now I got to be a senior. Time to step my game up, which again, kind of that sink or swim mentality, but it is what it is. Sometimes you're put in a very difficult situation and you kind of have to excel in order to move forward. And that's an awesome spot to be in. I think at that point in your career where you have a bit of confidence and you've got that knowledge and, and you are able to, to get out there and crush it. So let's move on to everything has gone at least in your mind whether it is or whether it isn't things aren't going well when do you start looking for that new job i would say well i think the first thing is it depends you know um <laughs> everyone's favorite thing to you say is software. yeah um but i would say as soon as possible um you know, you don't want to be like too um, quick to apply elsewhere because when you're put in a situation for growth, it's going to be uncomfortable and you do have to start being, I don't want to say getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, but you're going to have to get used to being put into situations where you don't know everything and you're going to have to learn because you'll get more out of it at the end. But if you honestly feel like there is, zero opportunity for growth, both um, career and personal and all that sort of stuff, then start interviewing. You know, um, most places you have X number of vacation, use that vacation if you need to interview, you know, take a day off in order to um, take your interviews or a half day or book an appointment, which is, you know, probably not the world's greatest advice from the employer standpoint, <laughs> but you have days that are allocated to you and at worse, if it's, you know, you have quote, unlimited PTO and you've already used the federal minimum, you know, it's not like you're going to get paid out for anything. And if you um, are, if you still have minimum PTO that you haven't used, does that extra six, seven days actually matter to you that you're going to get paid out at when you give your two weeks notice? Maybe not. It might not be groundbreaking. So use them up be able to interview, put yourself in a good position and be able to prepare. And you'll feel so much less stressed than someone who is trying to sneak an interview midday and is getting messages on Slack going, hey, where's this thing that we're waiting on and all that sort of stuff. 
yeah, that's certainly not going to help the situation with the stress. And on top of that, I think uh, people who are in a job that they're not happy with, it actually reduces a lot of the weight on their shoulders when they're interviewing. They kind of see like, hey, there is a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. And it might take that enough stress off you that you actually start performing a little bit better. And maybe you're able to kind of see what's going on and, and maybe you will be able to work it out. There, there's always a few different ways about it. Yeah. And for myself, what I actually started is I was interviewing just for the sake of interviewing. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a colleague who had, you know, at least a couple years of experience more than I did. But to find out that we were basically doing the same job from a requirement standpoint, and they were making a sizable amount of money more than I was, that's when I was like, hey, I should start looking elsewhere because I literally make half of what this other person makes. And so I started looking elsewhere because I thought that my time was more valuable um, because at least her time was more valuable to the company than mine. So might as well look elsewhere. So I started interviewing and from there, you know, just because you interview at a company doesn't mean you have to take that job, but it started giving me the confidence to being like, oh yeah, I got called in for a second interview, got called in for a third interview. And you start having a little bit less of imposter syndrome because now you have more, not more context, but you have more companies that are making you feel confident in your ability. Not only did you get the interview once, but you got the interview twice, or maybe you got interviews at like two different companies and they're wanting to move forward. All of that stuff is going to help out in making you find a better place to work. And just something I'm picking out of there is we know imposter syndrome is you feel like you don't fit. You feel like you don't have the knowledge and you're going to be found out. And to have that external validation is the exact opposite of that. That's the cure. Yep, exactly. So when I left my first job where I felt that I was being underpaid, I went into my next job and I almost got double my salary just by switching jobs. And it wasn't even so much that the job itself was bad. It's that I felt like they wanted a senior developer because I was the only one on the project, but I was being paid a junior developer salary. And so the expectations were high, which, you know, was difficult to do. Uh, It was also difficult to um, keep up, you know, In, in a case of like sprints from a project management methodology style, you're supposed to have these short bursts of, you know, getting a bunch of work done. And I just felt like I was constantly sprinting to keep up with the pace of what a senior developer would be doing as a junior developer. And I never had time, uh, you know, <laughs> continuing this, the water uh, comparisons. I never had enough time to really keep my head above water. It felt like I was any moment that I would come up for fresh air, they would just dump more in and I would fall below the surface. And it was just, I just needed a place that was willing to not lower their expectations, but at least be able, if I'm going to be, you know, performing as a senior, then I want to be paid as a senior. Or if I want, if the expectation is to perform as an intermediate, I want to be paid as an intermediate. So you're pretty much the, uh, you're the case study for this episode is you went in, you had a job that was beyond your abilities, but you got in there, you made the most of it, and then you were able to transform that into something that actually worked for you. Absolutely. And, you know, when you, this is the other thing is when you join a company, sometimes people have this um, thought, and I, I kind of go back and forth on it. When you get hired day one, you are not going to be operating at 100% efficiency, right? There's all that onboarding, all that sort of stuff that's happening. But between, let's say, three and six months, you should probably be performing at what was expected of you. And sometimes that means your workload gets up or go increases from day one. And so sometimes after like six months, you're like, man, I'm doing way more than I was doing day one. And it's like, yeah, you're performing now. That's what is supposed to happen. Um, and sometimes you think, man, I just want to go somewhere else and be able like, I, if I can perform like this, I can perform somewhere else uh, higher. And yeah, yeah, you can, but then 
you know, that workload slowly increases over time. You know, the, the workload that you're maybe doing as an intermediate in your first three to six months is kind of what you were doing after six months as a junior. And so you very, as you progress your career, you will, there will be more expectations of you, but it grows as you um, work at the place. Yeah, you've got to level up. It's a matter of just always getting better. So moving on from here, another question that I have heard a lot is, should I quit? So I'm, we've gone through all this, uh, things aren't going well. Maybe I have the pit, maybe I don't. Um, things just at the company, I feel like I'm, I'm floundering, I'm drowning, all those water metaphors. Do you quit? I would say, yeah. Like if, if you aren't getting the support, you're not obligated to stay at a company, right? Like you can move on. You can decide to just, just as like a customer can take their business elsewhere. You as an employee can take your skills elsewhere and work somewhere where you feel you'll be respected or given opportunities for growth that you just don't have at your current place. So I'd say, yeah, you know, leave, um, depending on your relationship, uh, with the company, my, this is actually something that when I first left, um, my, when I left my first job, I had huge amounts of guilt and I, to this day, I sort of like look back and I go, why, why did I feel guilty? But I had friends that I worked with there and I knew that I was going to go to a new job where I was getting paid more than them. And that was something that I felt guilty about. I also felt guilty that I knew how long it took the company to hire and I knew that they were not going to be able to find someone else to fill my role. So in the meantime, everyone else gets more work to do as if there's not already enough work to do. So those were things that I, you know, played at my mind. And then I had a good relationship with my manager, just not with the company. And I felt guilty leaving him because he had also lost his mentor um, at the company as the director of, uh, director of development there. And it played very heavily on, should I leave? I got given this offer that was almost double my salary. And I, any normal person would be like, yeah, you got to take it. But I was like, should I, should I take this opportunity? Because I feel bad for everyone that I'm leaving behind. I mean, that's human emotion, I suppose. It's a pretty reasonable way to feel, but like you say, double the salary and it all worked out anyways, right? It, it all worked out. I mean, I was, I was still friends with them after, um, I'm still, I still have a good relationship with that manager after, um, and that's all in how you leave. Exactly. It's all in how you leave. Um, yeah, there'd be some of it there. Okay. So, but at the end of the day, everyone that you worked with still got their jobs. They're still doing their thing. Um, whether they're happy with it or not, um, your boss is still there. They're going to hire somebody new. Um, not trying to say like, just burn the bridges behind you, but you do have to do your thing. You do have to advance your career and you've also got to do the things that make you happy. Exactly. There, there is a certain degree of selfishness and thinking, you know, for yourself that you need to be mindful of. Um, as you mentioned, you know, mental health, super important. I think people over the last several years because of COVID have started being more aware of mental health. Um, but you know, you need, you need to think about what's best for you and your career because the company is going to think about what is best for the business. And if you are not on your side, then who is on your side? That's exactly it. And I always advocate for people to uh, take care of themselves because we all default so much to I have to do this for the company. I have to do this because this is my job. So leaning back a little bit, kind of taking a step back and zooming out helps a lot. I'm going to ask that question again with a bit of a modifier, and that is, do I quit without another job lined up? And I have some opinions on this, but I want to hear yours. I would say it depends. Some people have enough um, cushion of, you know, saved income where they can do that. I think it's a luxury in order to leave a job without having something else lined up. Um, I do, I would say of the two, it is probably better to be going somewhere than to be running away from something. And oh, the reason for that is 
at some point you may become so desperate for a job because you need to afford, you know, your rent or utilities or just living is you might take any job and you might end up back in the exact same position that you were before in a place that doesn't support you is not paying you what you should be paid just because you have to make ends meet. And so if you have that ability to go towards a new job, even if the grass isn't always greener on the other side, it gives you cushion in order to like make the right choice because you're not having to figure out how to make ends meet at the same time. You've got the momentum moving forward. Exactly. What about you? What do you think? Do you think? You nailed the big one there and that's the financial responsibility. If you're living in mom and dad's basement, um, I mean, it's going to be less of a big deal. You don't have responsibilities. You're not paying a mortgage. Uh, you don't have the bills. You're not potentially supporting others. Uh, so it's really going to depend on your situation. And this definitely leans into the mental health side of things. If you are truly feeling already burnt out, unappreciated, unhappy, if this is going to affect you so much, and I've, I've actually seen this in a couple of people, it affects them so much that at the end of the day, they, they don't even want to go and continue looking for work. And they even get burnt out on the industry quickly. I spoke to one person who was like, I don't think I'm cut out for this. And I'm like, I've seen your stuff. You are, you're just at a bad company. So in that sort of place, very specific situations where kind of everything falls into place really nicely, I say absolutely um, quit without something lined up, but that's not the ideal situation. Um, yeah, it, it just would... depends on how quickly you want to fix the problem because it is going to take time to interview and have a new offer lined up. That's it. And I think that's where being very aware of what's going on, but also having, like you said, that mentor to be that second set of eyes and ears and and tell you if what you're thinking makes sense or not is starting on that early. Um, especially if it's very, very early in the company, you probably, you could have some connections at other companies that you interviewed. I spoke to somebody recently who left their first company so quickly because they're like, this is just not for me. This, this uh, culture, this company, everything that's going on here is so toxic they called up one of the other companies they were interviewing at that they actually had turned down another offer. And they said, Hey, I'm interested again. They said, we'd love to have you. And it was like, boom, you're fixed. Quit, not quit, whatever it comes down to. We need to go and rewind a whole bunch here before we wrap this all up, because there's one more conversation about this. And if you're leaving, if you've got a job and you you're like, I hate this and you're trying to find something else, you're already going to have a pretty good idea, but I think we should talk about this because it's important for people who are interviewing and it's important for those people that maybe aren't exactly aware of what's going on. And it's what led to this. Chances are there was something in the interview process that was a red flag and you missed it. Um, they talked about how hard they work. They talk about how we're, we're always on, or they gave you some sort of indicator um, about rock stars, about something that, isn't that real positive culture? And maybe it's just something that doesn't line up with you, or maybe they were talking about like how we need to have somebody come in and hit the ground running, all the all the corporate verbiage, all the things that get thrown around in resumes, or sorry, in um, job descriptions. There had been something along the way. So I wanna talk about those red flags in uh, job descriptions, in your interview process, even all the way down to your offer. What's your feelings on that? Like the first, if you kind of go through that interview process, the first one is, is like you have a job description somewhere, right? Whether it's a recruiter reaching out to you or finding it online, you're going to have a job description. And I think the first thing is looking over at the job description and just seeing like, what is, what is it saying? Is it a junior entry level position that is looking for someone with two to four years experience, but willing to take anyone like that? should be a little bit of a red flag. Sometimes it's outside of the actual engineering department. It's more the like HR level that does that stuff. But regardless, that should be some degree of red flag. Um, the other thing that you can do before, this is before you start interviewing, is research that company. Look on, there's websites out there. There's Glassdoor for people to leave reviews. There's, depending on the size of the company, you have the app called Blind where you can People can anonymously uh, share feedback about working there. You can also 
again, if it's large enough levels.fyi to look at like compensation for the company and other benefits that come from working there. So there are tons of different avenues for being able to research the company. The other thing is if you're, let's say you're doing a startup, you might want to look up the finances. When was their last uh, series round? Who are the founders of the company? Have they ever led a successful company before? Did that company go public? Was it acquired? Um, you know, you can do all this research upfront before ever doing your first interview. Um, is it probably worthwhile? It, it depends. Again, if you're interviewing at, let's say, 10 to 20 different companies and doing that level of work for everything might not be worth it, but it takes nothing to research five, 10 minutes about a company and see, is it even worthwhile? That's exactly it. Because looking back, you're going to go, I wish I spent that five to 10 minutes and just looked into the company and saw that blazing red flag. So I want to add something onto that research. And this is putting in more time. And this might be something that you would do a little further on in the interview process if you're landing a bunch of interviews. If not, um, it would be something that you can do for each job. It's find people that work there. Um, talk to them. Most people are, love to talk about what they do and talk about their company. If they don't, can be a bit of a red flag too. People just be like, I don't want to talk about it. Some people just don't want to talk to you and that's okay. But find and one other thing that I would also say is not just interview people that, and interview is like, obviously, you know, loose term, like do a, like coffee chat. reach out on, yeah, coffee chat um, is also people that used to work there. Ooh. And they're like the people, this is the thing, like you're going to get the people that work there most likely probably agree with the culture. The people that don't work there didn't, you know, don't agree with the culture potentially. Um, and LinkedIn allows you to look for people that past worked at those companies as well as people that currently work at that company. So you could reach out to both. I know I had reached out to a former designer of a company that I was interviewing with, and she gave me a lot of insight about why she left that company. And I was like, perfect. This is exactly the type of company that I don't want to work for. And all it took was, it wasn't even a coffee chat. It was literally just five DMs over LinkedIn. And that can be exactly it. A lot of people appreciate the async nature of that, that it's not, they have to give an answer right now and they can kind of think it out a little bit. And then it lets you reflect on a little bit too. So moving into the process, and I say process because it's a lot more than just the interview. It's the way they communicate with you. It is the actual setups. Um, it's people showing up on time to your interviews. It's the way they treat you. There's so many things that we, especially as juniors, we're just so excited. Like we're just excited to have a seat at the table and we often overlook a lot of different things. So what should somebody be looking for when they're speaking to somebody, that recruiter, that hiring manager, an engineering manager, when they're going through these interviews? Yeah, I'd say the first one is just how... Um attentive is that person who you're talking to could be the recruiter, hiring manager, other engineer, you know, how much attention are they paying to you in the interview or are they, you know, responding to Slack messages? Oh, sorry about that. Just give me a sec. Um, you know, I've been in interviews where, uh, someone had to take a phone call. Now, mind you, it was the reason that they had to take the phone call was because it was, um, their kid's school, but totally different situation, but you have to, not just listen to what they are saying, but how they're saying it, how much, um, how much, um, how much attention they're paying you because the more attention that they are paying, probably the higher they value your time and not just, Oh, it's just another waste of time interview. That's, that's a big one. Exactly that, that if they're not, Except for, I agree with the family thing, things happen. Um, something's going on, might be a weird one, but like maybe there's just something that they have to deal with right then. But they're probably going to be apologizing up and down and they're going to be very obvious that this isn't how it's supposed to be. Yeah. But if they're there and they are at an interview, somebody should be completely invested. That is your bit of time because this is such a huge decision for any company is to hire somebody. It's expensive. It costs a lot of money and not just hiring you, but in the actual investment of that person's time, several different people's time that are going to interview you. And if they're treating it like it's super unimportant, that's, that's a big one. And exactly. you're going to feel that. Yeah. I, 
as a small side tangent, I think we've gotten probably worse at being able to remove ourselves during interview processes since COVID because before you would go into like a boardroom and, you know, maybe you would just bring in a notebook rather than a laptop and you would just write down notes. It would just be very personal. You had no distractions. Now with us doing mostly interviews through things like Zoom and Google Meet, you're constantly connected. You have notifications, you have this, and you can obviously disable those, but it is so much more within reach of being able to be distracted that it takes <clears throat> it takes someone who actually like cares in order to unplug. You know, they have to opt in in order to disable notifications rather than just being automatic sometimes. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, and beyond uh, that, beyond the actual, the way they're treating you, there's going to be words. There's going to be things that they say that you really need to be aware of. Yeah, they'll, they'll be like buzzwords um, that will be said that can be red flags. Um, I think something that you could do is ask about the company's uh, culture, you know, and just see like, do they have a culture? What do they value in their culture? You could ask them questions about like, what happens if someone isn't portraying culture, like the culture values of the company um, or, you know, anything like that, like sort of how they answer questions is a big red flag. You know, what is your favorite reason that you work here? What is something that you feel that the company can improve on? If someone is unable to come up with something the company can improve on, that should be a big red flag because it either means that they're not willing to be honest enough to you on the outside um, or they are so like indoctrinated on the company culture that they think that it's perfect. And you do see that in some places. Definitely. And there's lots of different questions that you can ask like that. Um, things like exactly what you said, what's your favorite part of the job? What's your least favorite part of the job? Uh, one that I hear bouncing around LinkedIn a lot is, um, who's the best performer on your team and why? Because it can be, it can really expose their values because if they're like, Oh, it's Joe, he's always on call. He puts in like 15 hour days. Um, I swear the man never sleeps. Wait, 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 that's a high performer. Yeah. yeah they're performing really high, but that's what you value. Yeah, it it shows like what they care about and it's, it's time and it's, you know, more work than anyone else. It's not, Oh, this guy, you know, we gave him some free time to, and he, he ended up speeding up our CI process by, you know, 50%. And it's like, cool. No, it's the guy that does 15 hour days, doesn't have kids, is, you know, <laughs> being paid peanuts for the amount of time that he's working. Yeah, that's, uh, those are good points. Um, My, speaking of, um, and maybe this could even just be its own um, <clears throat> podcast about interviewing, is I like to ask, is this role for a new hire or is it to replace um, someone? And you learn a lot about that because it then gives you the avenue to ask about why someone left. If that's, if it's replacing someone, um, you could ask questions about that as a red flag. But the, the last thing just to, to wrap this up is I find a sense of urgency to be a bit of a red flag and you could say, well, isn't it a good thing? Like I, I've heard people where they have an interview and then, you know, within an hour or two, they get an email saying, Hey, we'd like to move forward. That's not the level of urgency that I'm referring to. I'm referring to someone saying like, Hey, like, what do you want to be paid and expecting you to answer on the phone then and there, or, you know, we have this contract for you to sign to join us and it expires Friday at noon and is, you know, Wednesday or Thursday. And that level of urgency is usually to instill some level of like FOMO. Like if you don't sign on the dotted line today, you are going to miss out on this opportunity to work here, uh, to make this amount of money. I have rejected offers because they were so quick to try to get me to sign. And later they came back and they said, okay, um, you know, would you be willing to take this instead? And they offered me more money and they gave me more time. My usual like cop out response is I would like to discuss this with my wife and you know, mm -hmm. a reasonable person would be okay with that. But some people are expecting you to just answer then and there on the phone going like, yes, yes, I will sign. And urgency as well in a little bit different context can also show a lack of planning on the side of the company, depending on the side yes. of the company. If a huge company is 
Like they need you right now. It's like, why do they what need you? Happened? Yeah. What, what happened? Did yeah, someone quit I, last minute with zero, you know, notice? And that's why you need someone to start yesterday. Right. And that's concerning because going back to your kind of guilt about leaving a job is okay. So that means everyone else is like killing themselves right now to keep up. And that's what you're going to look like when somebody else quits. So not having those plans in place and like needing you right now, that's going to burn you down the road. Absolutely. Yeah. Urgency is from a company perspective, usually a lack of foresight and a lack of like just planning. You know, you should be able to reasonably be able to predict people leaving. It's not, unless if it is like someone won the lottery and gave in their notice and it was unexpected, <laughs> you know, you should be able to, from a manager, be able to get um, some sort of foresight that someone might you know, they're unhappy, they'll probably put in their notice. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'd say urgency is is a big one. At, well, why do you need someone to start yesterday? You know, is it because your whole team quit and you have no one else that knows how it works? It's not going to go yeah. well. All right, let's wrap this up. We're sitting at an hour. Um, I can wrap that up differently, though. All right, let's wrap this up. Um, this is a conversation that isn't super fun to have, um, especially if you're you're listening to this and this is where you add. Uh, this is where you this are. This is at. where you. I add. hope it's not. <laughs> this is where you at. But I hope that nobody is actually going through this. But the thing is, I know that there are some of you out there that are. So I really hope that this conversation has helped uh, in, in a few different ways. In maybe to open your eyes to. Uh, how you can get out of a situation that you're unhappy in, that the situation that you're in that you think is bad may actually be good. And the situation that's good, maybe you're not self-aware. Like maybe you don't see what's going on. So I really hope that at the end of this episode, it's opened your eyes a little bit, little bit to where you might be at and some kind of ways out of it and then how to avoid it, whether you're interviewing right now or you're coming up to the point where you're going to be interviewing, which is what I know a lot of our listeners are. And maybe it's going to help you avoid a bad place and it's going to help kick off your career a little bit better. And to follow up to that, if you enjoy the Looney Engineering Podcast, please make sure to you know, rate and follow us on you know your various platforms of choice. Please feel free to reach out to Andrew or myself if you have anything that you think that we should talk about in the future, anything that you, you know, don't like that you want to see changes to, any possible suggestions, uh, feel free to reach out. And we have a LinkedIn group now that you can join. And uh, we love if you share this with your friends. We hope you really enjoyed this. This has been episode three of Looney Engineering. Uh, so your new job is a nightmare. Take care. Bye-bye.